Yeah, it still is. Yeah, I was just checking. Been different this morning, isn't it? It's good to be different. That's how I live my life. Um, <laughs> everything that we are called to do and be, everything about the Christian life is bigger than we are. Everything that God calls us to do is too hard for us. It's impossible. It can be ridiculous. But we do not live by the rules that the world sets. We live by a wisdom that comes from what we've been talking about recently, a transforming power of God in our lives. Transformation. I think Jill was speaking about that was last week, wasn't it? Yeah, week before even. And um, it's not just something we want to talk about. It's something that needs to be experienced in us that we get transformed so that we don't stay where we are, but we allow God to work in our lives to make us what he wants us to be. See, what's happened to you in the past puts you where you are now, but what happens to us now will transform us into what God wants us to be in the future. It's a process, an ongoing process. And there are two things, really, two extreme attitudes that we can have about ourselves. Firstly, we can be too confident. Don't you, don't you dislike big heads? who come in, giving it large, and saying, I'm God's answer to everything. Get real. Deluded by their self-importance. Secondly, are people who are always criticising themselves about, I'm not good enough. God can't do anything through me. Self-deprecating, majoring on your own inadequacies. Do you know, the, the, the big problem in both of those extremes is the word self. You can be self-confident. I can do anything. Doesn't, I don't even need God. I can just do it. Or, I'm no good, self-deprecate. Self is not what it's about. It's about putting our trust, whoever we are, however good or bad we are at things, it's putting our trust actually not in ourselves, but in the wisdom and in the power and in the anointing that God puts in our lives through Jesus. That's what it's about. So it's good to have a right perspective about ourselves, but we do need to fix our eyes and our confidence and our hope upon the power of God in our lives. And so I want to talk this morning about living in the realm of God's wisdom and allowing that wisdom to transform our lives so that we don't live necessarily by its rules, but we live by his rules. I'm going to read a few verses to you from Proverbs 30. And um, I was talking about birds the other week. Well, no, it's a bit more wildlife this week, okay? A bit of a wildlife theme. Um, you know, yeah. I'll read it. Proverbs 30, verses 34 to 28. It says, Four things on earth are small, yet are extremely wise. Ants are creatures of little strength, yet they store up their food in the summer. Hyraxes are creatures of little power, yet they make their home in the crags. Locusts have no king, yet they advance together in ranks. A lizard can be caught with the hand, yet it is found in king's palaces. I'm sure you're all aware of the relevance of that to everyday life in Britain today. <laughs> but living in the transforming realm of God's wisdom is a key to a successful and fulfilled life. Jesus promised that we would have life to the full. 
And it talks a lot in the Bible about wisdom. You see, it mentions four things here that are small and, and weak and inadequate, but they are extremely wise. And it seems that their wisdom makes up for their inadequacies. Wisdom. The passage speaks about four creatures who, despite their lack of strength and power, are said to be wise. And that word wise means skillful. They're clever. They've got something that enables them to have a skill that helps them to buck the trend and survive and to thrive where, on their own and left to their own devices, or, or you know, they wouldn't be able to punch above their weight like they can now. Wisdom is important. For us, it's, what it means, it's, basically, it's an application of knowledge and experience to situations of life. You know, it's not enough to know something unless you act on it. Yeah. And that's wisdom. You can know about something. But you, you, you can know that what you're about to eat is going to be bad for you, but it can be unwise and eat it. You can know that it's not a good idea to do something and yet do it anyway. Of course, none of you ever do that, I know, but it's just an example. But the, the Bible speaks about wisdom a lot. Human earthly wisdom and divine wisdom. You know, human wisdom has its place. It can be very good. But if it replaces a wisdom that comes from God, then it's insufficient and it can be dangerous. You know, we live in a world that likes to explain away God. There's this and there's that and there's this and the scientists say, and I've got no problem with scientists at all and the things that they are proving and finding out, but if they say and budget out God from their equation, they're missing a big thing. You see, God's wisdom makes man's wisdom look pretty foolish. 1 Corinthians 3, it says, Don't deceive yourselves. If any of you lack, uh, think you're wise by human standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. You know, people can think they're wise with religious formalism. You know, Colossians says this, since you died with Christ, the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why as though you still belong to the world do you submit to its rules? You know, some churches, some Christians have got more rules than God's got. Really? And it says that such regulations have an appearance of wisdom. Oh, that man's holy. Look, when he walks, he's not actually touching the ground. He's just that above it because he floats. Rubbish. Has an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, false humility and harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Now, if you want to know what wisdom is, is James 1.5 says, if any of you lack it, if any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. You see, wisdom is important. God's wisdom is important. And sometimes God's wisdom can appear to be very foolish in the eyes of men. You are, you're a Christian. I thought you were intelligent. You trust God. No, you can't do that. You need to trust something else. You only live by your own wits. Don't be stupid. You know, when Peter got out of the boat, that was a really silly thing to do. That was unwise. Do you remember Dad's army? Was it uh, the old fella, Godfrey? He used to say, oh, do you think that's wise? Do you think that's wise? He used to say, well, probably not. 
But a lot of things that we are called to do from a human perspective are not very wise. But you see, we don't get our wisdom from him. God's wisdom is spiritually discerned. Says so 2 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14. You can't always work it out, but if we live by it, it will help us to live and win. So there are four creatures of little strength, and yet they're very wise. Ants. Ants. Ants are creatures of little strength, yet they store up their food in the summer. What clever little beasties they are. Did anyone see Hugh Whittingstall's Wild West program? Did you, did, did you see that bit where he went to a wood ant nest? That was great. They were all up his legs. He was, he was doing all that. These tiny little things, they made his life miserable. They're only tiny, but they're amazing creatures who despise their, despite their size and their weakness, they act very wisely. Why? Because they store up when they can to survive when they need to. They store up in the summer so that in the winter, the bad times come, then they can survive. You know, there's a parable that Jesus told about ten virgins who were at a wedding and they all had lamps with oil. Five of them had extra oil. They were like clever little lamps. They stored up their oil. And five of them didn't have. And they, 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 it's all going late and, and five of them ran out of oil so they went to they ran out to get some more and by the, when the time they came back it had all gone and happened you know they couldn't they couldn't didn't have the resource to see them through when they needed more oil do you know I would say to you Christian be very very aware of the seasons the seasons of your life you see we need to store up God's And God's help, God's resources, God's anointing, when those things come, because they are the things that will help us to stand when times get hard. I don't know if you've found this, but sometimes it's very easy to read the Bible, and sometimes it's almost impossible. Sometimes it's quite easy to pray, and sometimes, it's really, sometimes you feel really great about your Christian life. I'm rocking and rolling with Jesus. And other times it's like, oh. Or is that just me? No, I don't think it is. You see, there are seasons. Do you know, in our lives, there are seasons. Marla was sitting on my lap, clapping her hand. When she's 25, she won't be sitting on her lap, my lap, clapping her hands on a Sunday morning. I'll say, get a chair. <laughs> but it's a season. It's a season. You know, Joseph was a man who lived by dreams and visions. And he was sold by his brothers as a slave and he was taken to Egypt and he was a slave there and he was in prison and to cut a long story short Pharaoh had a dream about, about uh, basically it was about seven years of famine and seven years of plenty and Joseph was able to give Holy Spirit wisdom to King Pharaoh and say the dream meant this there's going to be seven years of plenty, then there's going to be seven years of famine. The wise thing to do is to save up, store up the grain in the seven years, and then when the seven years of famine come, you'll have plenty. He was like a wise little ant. He stored up the plenty, and they had enough. 
You know, it is a spiritual application. You see, what we do now, what we store up now, how we build our relationship with God now, how we live for Jesus now, is going to determine how we're going to be down the road. There's this, it was this terrible, awful um, leaflet that used to come. Uh, used to, uh, tracts. We used to give out tracts to people. Right? little leaflet about, you know, repent or you will die. Be blessed. Um, but one of them was like four pictures. And one was a little kid and it said, too, too young. Then it was a teenager having too much fun. Then it was a young married couple. Oh, I'm too busy. And then it was a, an old person. Oh, I'm too old now. And then there was a picture of a coffin, and it said, too late. <laughs> Lovely. In other words, do what you can. Live for Jesus in every single season of your life. Every season of your life, because in a sense it is too late, because you're going to be promoted one day, and what we do on earth are our treasures on earth that will give us, you know, what be good for us when we go to heaven. So we, let's invest our lives, whatever stage. Don't tell me you're too busy, or you're too young, or you're too pretty, or you're too ugly, or you've got to get your hair done, or you've got to do something. And I'll really serve Jesus when I'm married, or I'll really serve Jesus when I've got my exams. Or when I do serve Jesus now, build up in the summer, so that when the winter comes, you will have strength. I had a really dark period in my life. Some of you know about it. And do you know what? The thing that caught, got me through that was that I stored up a relationship with Jesus early on. It works. So, Proverbs 6, 6 says, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. Now, rock hyraxes. Now, there's going to be an ah moment. Now, who knows what a rock hyrax is? It's one of them. Ah. Now, rock hyraxes. It says in verse 3, Hyraxes are creatures of little power, yet they make their home in the crags. How about that? So what, you're thinking? Do you know what? They are of little power. I don't think anyone's had a nightmare about being attacked by a hyrax going for your throat. It's more like a teddy bear. It's a little thing. It's a, do you know, they are very tasty in the eyes of wolves and birds of prey. They're these little cuddly things uh, in Africa and uh, the Middle East. And they're creatures of little power, but they make their home in the crags. Now, I've been looking at Wikipedia, so it must be right. But it says this, that on the approach of danger, this is rock hyraxes, those things, the sentries give an alarm call and the animals quickly retreat to their refuge. In Israel, apparently, rock hyrax is reportedly rarely preyed upon by terrestrial predators. Right? As their system of sentries and their reliable refuges provide considerable protection. And here's the slam dunk. 
Hyrax remains are almost absent from the droppings of wolves in the Judean desert. I'm glad somebody took the time to find that out so that I could share that with you this morning. But you see, what chance does that stand against the big bad wolf? You see, the creatures of little power, yet they make their home in the crags. They find a refuge in the crags. It tells me in Psalm 7, Lord, my God, I take refuge in you. Save and deliver me from all who pursue me. Or they will tear me apart like a lion or even a wolf, a wolf and rip me to pieces with no one to rescue me. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. You see, God is our refuge. He is the one who us protection. He is the one to whom we can run in the midst of all the wolves that are around us. You know, Jesus said to his disciples, I'm going to send you out, boys, amongst wolves. Great. Not real wolves. Spiritual wolves. But don't worry, I'm with you. You see, God is our refuge. Can I say that when you talk about running into the crags and into the refuge and into the rocks, I don't want you to misinterpret that and think that, that you can go and hide in your cave and avoid the issues that God is bringing your way. It's not a man cave, or a woman cave, or whatever women go into. You can't avoid and paper over cracks that God is bringing up in your life. But we can find safety in our God. You see, when pursued by Saul, King Saul, and David, it says he went to the stronghold. He had some place in the desert where he and his men could go. And he didn't go there to hide to become a a monk for the rest of his life. He hid there to be safe so he could come out and fight another day. So we have an armour, we have a refuge, we have a strength in Jesus. See, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Let the weak say, I am strong. And you see, we are in Christ as part of his body and one with him. You know, the sentries, about the rock hierarchies, the sentries call a warning so that they know when to take refuge. If you've got a a, a kind of a lonely hierarch walking through the Judean desert and he's on his own, he's very vulnerable. But when you put him with his mates near the crags he's safe you see the sentries call out they know when to take refuge and as Wickerbeat here says they have considerable safety do you know I can't stress enough the importance of what we have here in the fellowship because really We need to be sentries for one another. Watching each other's backs. Shouting an alarm. So that we know when to go into the crags. So that we know when to to run and hide and get protection. We need to do those things. And the trouble is we find ourselves at considerable risk if we keep at a distance. 
we find refuge, not so we can hide, but so we can become more powerful. Do you know what? He's great. That's fine. If you're making that noise, real problem. See you later. God bless. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Rock hyraxes. Little power, they make their home in the crates. Let's go on to locusts, right? They have no king, yet they advance together in ranks. Locusts are remarkable creatures as well. They move together and they can devastate crops over hundreds of square miles. And yet they're little things like that. If you had a locust in your hand, you could go smack. But when you put them all together and they become this terrifying army, they devastate crops. They, they, they cause untold damage as they just march. And it says that they advance together in ranks, yet they haven't got a king. There's no king locust telling them what to do together, but together they move forward in ranks. Isn't it amazing? You know, there's something that drives them on. And they haven't got a king. Now, let's just bring this to a church situation. You see, church is really, as I say, it's part of our lives. It's an important part of what we are and who we are. And churches have leaders. But please, don't. church leaders are kings. <laughs> Despite what some people might think in some churches. We are called to serve as leaders, not lord it over people. Jesus was told, told his disciples, if anyone who wants to be the greatest of all must be the servant of all. And God is calling us to be leaders. Every single one of us is a leader as a servant and as an example to everyone else. That's how it works. Christian leadership is important and churches need to have leaders. Ultimately, however, Christian leadership is under the anointing of God as in the leadership that, that serves. In, you know, in the book of Judges, right, Israel had a system where an anointed person, men and women, as it happens, were appointed by God to be judges over Israel. And that was God's way of doing it. But eventually, the Israelites got fed up with that, and they said, we want to be, this is key, like the other nations, we want a king. And God didn't really want them to have a king, because he knew that a king would lord it over them, a king would be a, full of himself, a king would be this, that, and the other. There were good and bad kings, but kings in general tend to deteriorate, and that's what happens. And reluctantly, God allowed them to have their way, and they had a king. Kings speak of prestige, status. And that was a, a departure from God's best, but a choice they made. So, we don't need a king. We need leadership, we need unity. And unity is really important, you see, because we're told in Ephesians... Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that word submit means to rank under. Isn't that interesting? The locusts move ahead in ranks and we're told to rank under one another. I've said this many, many times, but we all have roles and we all have anointings that we should all submit to. You know? 
I'm able to do things that some of you can't do. That's why I'm doing it. But you can do things, and you've got an anointing over your life that I wouldn't have a clue about. So I will submit to you in that. Get it? So there's leadership, and there's vision, and there's culture, and there's a direction that we all live under. But we move together under the guidance and the help of the Holy Spirit. You see, locusts have no king, yet they advance together. And last of all, lizards. We're finishing with lizards today. A lizard can be caught with the hand. Yeah, you try it. They're really quick. They are quick. And yet it's found in king's palaces. How about that? I remember we went to India a few years ago. I've been a couple of times to India. And I remember I was, speak, I, was a, I was speaking in this church. I remember I was sitting about here, but in India. And there was a light about there, but in India, one evening. And there were these flies <coughs> buzzing around the light. And out come a little lizard. And I wasn't really paying attention. I was just watching the lizard. And the lizard would go like that. And a fly would land and it would go. One fly gone. Then he'd wait. Another fly would come and he'd go like that. If you're listening on to this podcast, <laughs> I've just done a thing about lizards eating a fly. A quite convincing one, actually. <laughs> a lizard was in the house of God, was in a church building. Lizards are in the king's palaces in these hot countries. And I'll tell you what, they perform a really important task. And you don't mess with the king's lizard. You leave it alone. It's in the king's palace, catching the king's flies. So leave it well alone. Do you know, the Bible's got some right little lizard people who got into king's palaces and places of influence. Again, I mentioned Joseph earlier on. He became the second most powerful man in perhaps the most powerful country of his day, Egypt. He was a man of vision and dreams, and yet God promoted him to be influential in Egypt. And through that, the whole of his family and the whole of his, uh, his relatives and his dad were all saved from the famine because God put him in the king's palace. Esther was a woman who uh, was God's servant and she was in the king's palace. It's in the book of Esther. Read it. And she said, who knows that I've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. If she hadn't have been in the king's palace, she couldn't have gone to the king and stopped the planned massacre of the Jewish people. She was there in the right place at the right... And, and, and Daniel also was in the king's palace in the, in the greatest um, empire of the day. Do you know something? We can see people and we need to pray for God's people to be in places of influence. 
If you know MPs who are Christians, if you know people of influence who are believers, then pray for them like lizards catching flies in the king's palace, that they'll be an influence there, that God will use them there. And that though they might be able to be caught in the hand because they're just men and women, they can be put in places of influence. Isn't that great? But also for us. Do you know something? Do you know where we belong? We belong in the king's palace. We do. We do. We are people of the king. We're not much to look at. But we have a great high priest who ascended into heaven, Jesus. We don't have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses. So let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace in times of need. Let's be active lizards, not lounge lizards. And let's go into God's presence. So to finish, Paul. The Apostle Paul started life with the name Saul. He was named after Saul because Saul was in his tribe in Israel and he was the first king of Israel. So right, he's the first king of Israel. He's a Benjamite. We call him Saul, great king, head and shoulders above everybody else. But when God touched his life, he changed his name to Paul. And the the name Paul means small. And yet, small Paul became great in the kingdom of God, who wrote loads of stuff that's in our Bible, who was an apostle, who did this, that, and the other, saw miracles done. He was a great man because he was anointed by the Holy Spirit. Now, Proverbs, a lot of Proverbs are written by Solomon. This proverb that I've just read about lizards and stuff wasn't written by Solomon. It was written by a fellow called Agur, but you all knew that. Anyway, he was a chap. But Solomon wrote a lot of wise, wise proverbs. Now we talk about the wisdom of Solomon, don't we? That's heard. You've heard that before. Um, But sadly, although Solomon started off wise, he amassed wealth because he was a king. He amassed about five million wives. That's an exaggeration. And he became foolish. And the end of his life, Solomon lost that wisdom and ended badly. He got too big for himself and his reign ended in a bad way. I spoke about four creatures this morning. Let's be wise so that we can individually and as a church punch above our weight. Every jolly year we say we haven't got enough money. And every year God supplies our needs. We say we've got a big vision, but oh, you know, how can you have a big vision? You're only a few people. Yeah, we are a few people. But I tell you something, we might be able to be caught in the hand. We might be of little power. But I tell you what, we've got crags to live in. Yeah, we can march together in ranks. We can be united. We can look out for each other. We can be sentries. We can run into the crags when somebody else gives a warning. We are people of the Holy Spirit. And we can take up refuge, advance together, and be in places of power because of Jesus. You know, it is because of God, it says in 1 Corinthians 1.30, because of him that you are in Christ Jesus. That's your refuge. You are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Let's bow our heads and pray for a moment.
Father God, thank you so much for all that's happened today. We've come to you, we've cried out to you, we've prayed to you, we've sung and worshipped you. And Lord, we have also been reminded that though we are weak, yet we are strong in Jesus. Father, we lay before you every need of this fellowship and we refuse to major on the facts as they are from human perspective that we haven't got enough resource or enough money. Or, uh, Lord, if you tell us to get out of the boat, then we're walking on the water. If you tell us to advance together, we're going to advance together. And Lord, I want to pray also for every individual here that, Lord, that you will help us, Lord, not to major on our shortcomings, but we'll actually look to you and know that we are able to punch above our not because we're conceited and cleverer than anybody else, but because we serve a great God. So, Lord, just be with us now in Jesus' name. Thank you for this time together. Amen. Amen.